This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. It's a question that many of us ask ourselves and others every four years, and one that some people ask even more often. And right now, in the last few days before we choose our next president, it's one that a lot of us are almost obsessed with. What is the electorate thinking? I know that we all think that we make our decisions based on a rational evaluation of the issues, but if you've met us, you know that there's probably some other stuff in play as well. So when we make our decisions about candidates, and not just that last one that involves pulling a lever, what are we thinking about? Race? Religion? And what about all that embarrassing stuff that we wouldn't dream of telling pollsters? Like maybe that Obama reminds us of someone we dumped in high school, and now we feel like voting for him because we feel sorry for that guy. Or that we like McCain because he reminds us of our dad. How does that stuff play into it? My guest on this very close-to-the-election Fordham Conversations is Monica McDermott. McDermott's an associate professor of political science at Fordham, and she's an expert on voter behavior. She's also a political consultant for CBS News, where she'll be behind the scenes on election night. Later on the show today, if all this election talk is getting to be a little much, a little comic relief. But first, Monica McDermott joined me in the studio late last week to talk about why we vote like we do, what the candidates are doing to get in our good graces as the election draws ever closer, and why the same information that powers your Amazon recommendations could also control what kind of political advertising you see. Monica McDermott, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So tell me about voter behavior. (laughs) Well, voter behavior generally um, is all about party identification. And so in most elections, that's what seems to count. In presidential elections, you get about 90% of each party's voters voting for their own candidate. And so it comes down to the 10% who don't. Those are sort of the partisan swing voters and the independents. And so that's why usually you see the news media focusing on the idea of swing voters and independents, because that's really all there is. So that tends to be who we study because everyone else is sort of given away automatically. Does that put a lot of emphasis on a group that maybe doesn't warrant it? It does to a certain extent because independents are less likely to turn out in elections. They're less politically engaged um, and they make up their minds in a very different way. It doesn't tend to be ideological. It tends to be more personality driven by candidates and things like that. So in some sense, it's not your classic political scenario that theorists would like to see. What you do is you work to help predict basically who's going to win these races And it seems like predicting who's going to win might be a lot harder this year than it has been in the past. What is going on in this race that hasn't been going on in the past that makes it harder? It's all about race this year. I mean, it's the first time we've had an African-American candidate from one of the major parties. So no one's quite sure how that's going to play out on a national level. We've seen governors, senators, those kinds of statewide elections, and we know how race operates in those, but we don't know what it's going to do nationally. So no one's quite sure. It's it's a wild card. No one's sure how it's going to pan out. And there's with still some time to go before the election. Something major could still happen. Tell me more. <laughs> well, at this point, um, Obama has opened up quite a lead. Um, and the McCain campaign is fighting back by saying that the polls are wrong. Um, but they're also starting to get a little bit I don't want to say desperate because that's a little strong, but they're starting to panic a little bit, and there's already infighting in the campaign and a little bit of desperation. And so no one's quite sure what they might do between now and Election Day. 
This is um, the presidency of the United States. It's an office that John McCain feels he was born to fill. He feels like he was cheated out of it in 2000 and that he's being cheated out of it again here in 2008 by a fresh young upstart who has no right to be there. So um, it could lead to some major developments in the last remaining days. What do you think we might see? Well, at this point, um, there are efforts to increase their attacks on him as having ties to terrorists, which obviously has some racial overtones to it and some religious overtones. Um, A lot of Americans think that Barack Obama is actually a Muslim, even though he's a Christian. So you can play to that, and that scares people, quite frankly, because of Muslim terrorism around the world and what they see as Islamic extremism. And any ties you can make between Obama and that are going to be very powerful to a lot of people. Um, No one quite knows what else might happen. I mean, in races in the past that involve black candidates, people have chosen to make a distinction based on race at the end of the election. And that um, it worked in North Carolina for Jesse Helms when he was running for Senate against Harvey Gantt. And um, no one knows if it'll work here or if it will even be tried. But that's something that's still out there. With McCain and Obama, we've heard a lot about both of their core constituencies, Obama with, you know, young voters and McCain with sort of, at this point, hardcore Republicans. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of what you look at is what people are thinking about when they actually look at the candidates. So when these voters, these hardcore constituencies look at these candidates, what are they seeing? Well, when it comes to the right and the hardcore Republicans, at this point, they're seeing a candidate who is professing to believe in what they believe in, which is quite a shift for McCain. They also see a candidate that chose a far right wing vice presidential candidate, which made people on the right pretty excited. So that's what they see is someone who is attempting to address their concerns. And they like that. I think on the left or on Obama's side, it's very different. The young voters are just excited. Obama is attractive and young and new and fresh. And he's got people really enthusiastic about his candidacy. And that's something that we haven't seen in a very long time. So that's what's driving it there is his personality more than anything else. So let me stop you here and ask you, we're talking about what voters think, but um it might be useful to look at for a moment the techniques that you use to figure out what voters are thinking. How does your research work? Well, it depends exactly on um, what we're trying to figure out. In my academic research, I use a lot of experiments because the only way to prove anything, any kind of causal relationship, is through experimentation. So if you want to prove or show a link between, say, candidate gender and how voters are behaving, you have to do that experimentally. So that's what I do there. In practical politics, it's a little bit different. You don't quite get to go into it like that. You have to be more issue-based, message-based. And people aren't always honest. I mean, people, there's a sense of political correctness out there. And people don't want to admit that they're supporting Obama because he's a nice guy or, you know, because he's attractive or for all these other reasons, even though those are the reasons that go into their decisions. So it's a little touchy to do it. Um, But usually the issues end up lining up and we can use those as a gauge. So for the actual electorate, how do you determine what they are thinking? Surveys. 
public opinion surveys are what we do. Um, lots of public opinion surveys. The campaigns do them. The news media organizations do them very extensively, asking people what they think, what they care about, what they think about the candidates. And it changes over the course of an election. So you have to sort of track it if you care to see how it develops rather than just see it at the end. You track it through public opinion polls and see how public opinion morphs based on actions in the campaign, activities, um, debates, things like that, the things the candidates do, the commercials they have out, all of those things. So what kinds of things do do they track? Like what are the specific categories of questions? Um, well, candidate favorability is a really huge one, just how whether people view the candidate favorable or not. And that tends to be a good gauge of who they're going to go for. Issues, also something that we tend to look at. Um, this year, it's not as interesting because there's only one issue that anyone cares about, and that's the economy. There are other things, though, that you ask about that are more surprising. Absolutely. This year, again, uh, race is very – race is a hard thing to get at because, again, the political correctness factors in, and no one likes to say, yeah, I'm a racist or, yeah, I'm prejudiced or bigoted. So we have to find ways around that again. And one way to do that is to ask people a whole bunch of questions about racial policies, racial attitudes, things like that, and create indices that then tell us who is more racially positive and who is more racially negative so we can see how that factors into the voting here. What would some of those questions be? How do you, I mean, how do you get around people saying, oh, I know you're asking me about race? <laughs> well, they know you're asking them about race, but... You're not saying, would you ever vote for a black man for president, which is something that no one's going to answer honestly to. So you ask people about, do they resent the fact that there are affirmative action programs? Do they feel like they've ever been looked over um, in order to hire an African-American or other minority candidate? All those kinds of things. So to get at group conflict, um, the idea of racial resentment, all these things that psychologists know drive these racial attitudes. And that's what you get at and that's what you go with. So these are the kinds of things that you look at when you're trying to predict how people are going to vote. What about exit polls? Exit polls are a fantastic tool for figuring out why people voted the way they did. Um, a lot of people out there have the misconception that the race will be called based on exit polls, and that's not actually how it works. But what the exit polls are really there for is to flesh out why people made the decision they did on Election Day. And that's the one opportunity we have to talk to real voters who we know voted, who we know just made a choice. And to talk to them fresh out of the voting booth is really a unique opportunity. Do people typically tell the truth about who they voted for? Yeah, they do. Um, they don't after the election. It's really interesting. You find that um, people's reporting of who they voted for goes up about 20 points for the winner after the election. But on election day, they are honest. They're given the exit poll ballot. They're allowed to fill it out in private, and they do so. So there's no reason for them to lie. They're not talking to a pollster on the phone, so they don't have to worry about political correctness. It's really a great time to get honest answers out of people. So it's like filling out the student evaluation form right after the semester's over. Absolutely. It is. There's now, no time for historical revisionism <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was reading that a question about race wasn't added to voter exit polls until Super Tuesday this year. What did adding that question yield, and why wasn't it added sooner? One of the reasons the exit poll panel didn't ask um, a race question before that was because they didn't know how to ask it. You know, it, it does get to this idea of political correctness. But the question they ended up putting on is this sort of strange, 
hard-to-interpret question about how important was race in your vote today. And that tends to be taken differently by different people. What we found, which was one of the most fascinating things we found with the exit polls in the primary season, and we didn't expect it, maybe we should have, was that among whites who said that race was important, they were voting overwhelmingly for Hillary. So it was something, whereas African Americans or blacks who were saying that race was important were voting overwhelmingly for Barack Obama. So it came down that what the question did was measure the extent to which people were actually saying, my race is important and I'm picking a candidate who matches that, which is something we really didn't expect to see. Why did you not expect that? (laughs) (laughs) I think when the exit poll people put it on, they thought it would be a negative purely. They thought it would be a way to gauge negative racial voting, and it ended up being a way to gauge positive voting by a voter towards a candidate of their race, which that split I don't think anyone quite expected. You're listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. My guest on the show today is political scientist and voter behavior expert Monica McDermott, and we're taking a look at how we vote and why we vote that way. In a few minutes... We could throw baloney on the audience and get slapped in the face, and it didn't matter. The refined comedy of F-U-C-T. But first, let's hear the rest of my conversation with Monica McDermott. So one of the one of the things that people have been saying about this campaign is that the news media did not talk about race for a very long time. What did they talk about as a substitute for race? Because obviously race has been on people's minds. They talked about, um, well, they started talking about it at some point during the primary season, especially when Bill Clinton went down to South Carolina and started talking about this being a pipe dream for Barack Obama and how he was just like Jesse Jackson and wouldn't go anywhere, which people took as a racial comment. But before that, I think the news media was just scared. They didn't know how to deal with it, and they didn't want to say Barack Obama is the black candidate because that's not fair. That's not what defines him necessarily to himself or to his supporters. So they they talked about the issues, but they treated Obama as this fresh, young candidate, which is sort of – it gets at the fact that he's black and that he's the first black candidate for a, for a nominee for a major party, but it wasn't as obvious to do it that way. And, of course, Hillary Clinton was – tried and and had been through the ringer and people knew what they were getting with Hillary, whereas they didn't really know what they were getting with Obama in the early stages. So I think that's why defining him as a black candidate was something the media didn't want to do. I've heard it said that um, one of the reasons that Obama's been as successful as he has is that he is not an African-American person in the way that Jesse Jackson is or in the way that, well, that most African-Americans are. He is the son of an African person and a white person. How did that factor in? And talk a little bit about that. Race has developed very interestingly over the course of this election. It started out that people were, especially certain segments of the Democratic population, at least in the primaries, were viewing Barack Obama as the black candidate and were voting against him for that reason. I mean, we found that in polls over and over again. That's changed over the course of the campaign. You find a lot of Democrats especially with negative racial attitudes who are now voting for Obama because they're so fed up with the economy and with Bush and because they've come to accept Obama as a person and a candidate and not as just a black man. 
And that's what Obama's campaign was trying to do the entire year, because they know from psychological theories of race that if you want people to not apply stereotypes automatically to someone who could be the target of them, you have to separate them from the pack. You have to say, this isn't a black candidate. This isn't a Jesse Jackson. This is just a candidate who happens to be black. I think for a lot of people, they see black as black, and they don't care if you're... I mean, Tiger Woods has sort of overcome that, but it's the same thing. If um, you've got one drop of black blood, people who have negative racial attitudes will see you as black. So it helps that he's not traditionally African-American. But I think more important is the fact that he didn't run a campaign targeted at African-Americans. In fact, he had some what they call sister soldier moments like Clinton had where he stood up to the black community and said things like, I'm here to represent all Americans when he would be challenged at rallies and things like that. So I think that's more important than necessarily his background and the fact that he's biracial. So we're trying to figure out how voters behave. But needless to say, the candidates' campaigns are perhaps working even harder on that. (laughs) In terms of the very specific messages that they are trying to push, how do they do their research? They are, they're doing polling as well. Political polling is huge. It's a huge partisan polling. It's a very large industry. Barack Obama has, I think, four pollsters, four different firms on his um, campaign rolls right now. So they go in, they find out what the public cares about, and then they craft messages to try to get at that. And there was one point in the campaign where race was playing a big issue. It was around the time that Barack Obama said, you know, I I don't look like all those other presidents on the dollar bill. And uh, the McCain campaign accused him of, of throwing down the race card. And right around that time, you noticed that race was very important to the public. They were stereotyping Obama as a typical black in the negative sense that we have racial stereotypes in this country as not being necessarily, not having earned what he got, things like that. And the uh, the McCain campaign actually released some commercials that played on that, not in an obvious way, but in a very subtle way by treating Obama as the man who didn't have the experience and didn't really deserve to be where he was. He didn't pay his dues, which absolutely plays to that stereotype. There was uh, the McCain campaign had the ad about Obama being sort of an international rock star and at the beginning introducing it with Britney Spears and Paris Hilton, which uh, white women with black men is still something in this society that is um, very taboo and that really raises the hackles of people who have negative racial attitudes. So I'm not saying that McCain and his campaign were trying to be really nasty, but they did know what voters what was playing with voters, and they did go for it, just like any campaign would do with any issue. Tell me about micro-targeting. Micro-targeting is this really interesting way of sending out advertisements, not television advertisements because those go into large media markets, but sending out specific mailers and knocking door-to-door in neighborhoods where you can pinpoint what people care about. So there are these consumer databases out there that track every American in the country based on their purchasing. And the campaigns figured out that if you purchase those, you can then track people based on their buying habits. And not too surprisingly, people do behave differently based on their political predispositions. So, um, you know, it it comes down to something like Republicans drive Cadillacs and Democrats would rather drive a Saab or, or a Subaru or something like that. So they can track 
down to the block level even, how people feel, and they can tailor to certain addresses the exact mailing that's going to appeal to those people, knowing what their interests are. And it's a much finer, it's a scalpel rather than sort of a bludgeon, let's say. So what kinds of things would be in those mailings? So uh, issues, the issues they talk about and the way they talk about them in areas with very high incomes um, who tend to have a lot of who spend a lot, let's say, they're going to target them with the issue of taxes and with keeping more of your own income. In other areas where people are wealthy but they don't spend a lot, say more liberal wealthy areas, they're going to send something out that's less about taxes and more about government fiscal responsibility, things like that. So it's really overarchingly sort of the same issue and the same idea, but targeting it at people differently based on what's going to appeal to them specifically at the very local level. Okay, so what I buy on Amazon might actually affect my uh, vote. Okay. Republicans um, are watching you. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with both candidates, because I assume that McCain is not the only campaign doing this, how are they trying to push voters' buttons right now? That's a good question. The Obama campaign is finding that they... They're still they're still doing their tried and true stump speech is what the Obama campaign is doing. It's worked for them. It's won over a lot of swing and independent voters in battleground states. So they're just going to keep plowing forward with that, with knocking on doors, with just giving the basic information about what they'll do in office, all those things to voters. They've changed very little. The McCain campaign has been a little bit more sporadic in their message. So at this point, there's a lot of negativity out there. And that's because McCain is behind in the polls, and that's any candidate from any party. When you're behind in the polls and it's this close to the election, you're never going to build yourself up in the voters' eyes. The only thing you can do is tear down your opponent. And like I said, happens with both parties in all elections. And that's what McCain's focusing on right now is not, I'm John McCain, here's what I'll do in office, but that's Barack Obama and here's what he'll do in office. So mostly trying to frighten people about Obama's policies, which can be seen as negative, can be seen as legitimate, depending on your point of view. I know this is a difficult question to answer, but what surprises are you expecting in terms of how people are going to vote on Tuesday? No one seems to know. If the McCain campaign is right, um, McCain's going to win and surprise everybody, uh, contrary to all the polling that's out there right now. Um, I personally expect it to be a lot closer than it is shown to be right now. And part of that might be a racial effect. I think people not, don't necessarily lie to pollsters, but they might say that they honestly plan to vote for Obama and then they get into the voting booth and they just can't do it. I mean, race is still that important in America that it does affect a small portion of our population in that way. So I think it's going to be closer than we see. Other than that, I think it's relatively predictable. The economy is going to be the number one issue. Race will matter to some people, but probably to people who would have gone either way anyway. Um, basically, it could be a really boring story and a really boring night. It seems like voter turnout could be a huge issue as well, especially with Obama's supporters because they're young voters and historically they haven't turned out that well. Yeah, that's actually the one thing out there that could be really exciting, but I'm not sure everyone believes in it, which is that young voters might turn out, as might blacks, in record numbers because of Obama and how much they just absolutely adore him. And that would be really exciting and a really positive thing for democratic theory because a voter turnout is abysmal in the United States. And it's 
a lot of that blame falls on the younger generations time after time. So if we could get people interested in the process, new people, and habituate them to voting, it could completely change just the landscape of American politics. So a lot of people think that there's being a lot made of it and that young voters won't turn out because they are notoriously lazy. And they may be very excited about it, but they may have something better to do on Tuesday. So that's sort of the one thing hanging out there is we don't know exactly what's going to happen. If they turn out in record numbers, it's a great night for Obama. If they don't show up, it's a lot closer than people thought it would be. So um, who's going to win? Well, if the polls are right, it's going to be Obama. But um, a lot of people are arguing that the polls aren't right. It's a controversy that just sprung up in the past two days or sprang up in the past two days. And we'll see uh, where it goes from there. But Obama's got sizable leads in very important states and very small leads in states that he should he should have no right competing in, like Virginia and Ohio and places like that, Missouri. So um, if those polls are right and if we aren't overestimating the young vote or anything like that, then it could be a big night for Obama. Well, Monica McDermott is an associate professor of political science at Fordham, and she is also a political consultant for CBS News, where she'll be behind the scenes on election night. Monica, I hope you'll come back and talk to us about how this all went down. Of course, unless I'm wrong about something. I'd be (laughs) happy to. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flair. Just after the show this morning, it's Cityscape with George Bodarkey. On today's show, Courthouse Confessions and the Marathon. That's ahead at 7.30. But first, the Fordham Underground Comedy Troupe began performing on campus in 2002 when its members were undergrads at Fordham. Today, they're just known as F-U-C-T, And this coming Wednesday, that's the day after Election Day, they'll be performing at Caroline's as part of the New York Comedy Festival. Producer Liz Brocklin went downtown to FUCT's rehearsal to check them out. She found them rehearsing a sketch about waiting in line for the bathroom. It's called the pee-pee dance, and it's set to a piece from the Nutcracker. So it's just from here, down, up, down, up, down. My name is John Crane. I'm 27 years old, graduate of Fordham University, and I'm currently performing and working with the comedy troupe F-U-C-T. I am Graham Skipper, 25 years old. Uh, I am a graduate of Fordham University from Fort Worth, Texas, originally, and I am also a member of the comedy troupe F-U-C-T. When I first got to Fordham, uh, I wanted to try and start an improv troupe because I had done a lot of improv. So I put up a thing on the board saying anybody interested in starting an improv troupe. And then, through the magic of uh, hubbub and talking, I ended up at the top of the escalators one day, uh, running into John Crane and another uh, fellow. And the two of them stopped me and said, hey, are you that guy Graham that wanted to start the improv troupe? And I said, yes. And they said, well, we're, we're trying to do this thing called F-U-C-T, the Fordham Underground Comedy Troupe, and sort of explained the idea about it being... Uh, kind of a keg party sketch show thing. Uh, Are you interested in joining forces? And I said, yes. So we decided at the end of, uh, at the end of the semester, we were just going to throw a keg party and put up some of our little sticky things that we did that we thought were funny. And it all got started there. 
We liked being messy. We liked being uh, underground, whatever that means. We liked being vulgar. We liked being stupid. And we reveled in that, you know, sort of frat boy sensibility uh, where we could throw baloney on the audience and get slapped in the face and it didn't matter. A bunch of us graduated. I know it was it was my senior year, and a bunch of the originals had already graduated. And they were they would come back and see the show every semester. And I said, well, you know, we said, why don't we try to take this outside? We all love doing this. Why don't we just keep doing it? And the first show we did at uh, the Rattlestick Theater in December of '04, I think, was when that first show was. And uh, you know, it was very rocky, uh, but and we did a very similar show to what we did at Fordham and we learned lessons from that. Now we don't stop because we're always working on a new show, always coming up with new material um, and it's just completely been the absolute level of dedication and commitment of the members that has that has grown from being a fun thing to do in college in front of your friends to uh, you know a, a really great show you do for 220 people at Sold Out Carolines. This was actually a while back. Uh, and and I think it remains to this day one of the more outrageous things we've ever done, where the scene was it was largely silent. Um, but I walked out on stage, and John and I was very concerned about something, and John came out and and basically I, I told him that I I thought I might be pregnant. You know, you can make fun of Obama and McCain all you want, but then the minute that one of them is in office, well, the joke kind of falters. We sit there and we say, okay, what is something that if we show this to a crowd? 10 months from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, that they'll always find funny. What will, like John said, 18th century monks, what would they get a rise out of? You know, and what will somebody 500 years in the future when they're teleporting into the cherry lane to see the show um, with their cyborg eyes, you know, what are they going to find <laughs> crazy? Well, hopefully the same stuff with special, you know, enhancements. More about F-U-C-T at F-U-C-T-N-Y-C dot com. From WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email us at FordhamConversations at WFUV.org. We would, of course, love to hear from you. Fordham Conversations is available as a podcast at WFUV.org. It's also in our audio archive, which you can also find on our website. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thanks for listening. Have a fabulous weekend and happy voting.